getting nosy for the sake of entertainment. Here's another episode of Steve Nagel Mind Your Business, a rock102.com exclusive. Well, hey there, kids. Welcome back to another episode of Nagel Mind Your Business, episode six. Uh, exclusive podcast here at rock102.com. Now, I know uh, there's been a theme with some of these podcasts. Uh, most of the podcasts have been focused around the cannabis industry. Now, that is because I am a, uh, I'm a user, an avid user of cannabis. Uh, and I want to kind of get rid of that stigma that goes along with, with cannabis. Because it, it, it's unnecessary. And there's a lot of hypocrisy within the federal government. And this week we sit down with the COO and co-owner of Canna Provisions in Holyoke and Lee uh, to talk about these hypocrisies and these laws and what direction that the cannabis industry is moving in in order to overcome these hurdles. Great interview now with COO and co-owner of Canna Provisions, Eric Williams, on Nagel Mind Your Business, the exclusive podcast at rock102.com. And in the studio with us is COO and co-owner of Canna Provisions, uh, Eric Williams. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Steve. How you doing today? Good. I, I appreciate you guys uh, coming in here and doing these podcasts with us because uh, there's a, we're getting a lot of feedback from people who are really interested in the way cannabis works you know, how it works for them. We've had some informational pieces. We'll have some more uh, informational pieces on how it can do, you know, help other people uh, as far as, you know, medically maybe or, or you know, things, people who deal with anxiety and things like that. Of course. Uh, so uh, we've, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback for that, which is great. So we, we do appreciate you guys coming down here and uh, sharing some info uh, with us. Oh, we're, we're happy to, you know, uh, weed is a, a lot like an onion. You know, you just keep yeah. peeling those layers off and deeper and deeper. Uh, and you know what? It gets more interesting the deeper you get in, that's for sure. Yeah, I know from my own personal experience, I you know, like I'm continuously experimenting with different strains and different, you know, what times of the day is best for me to, to, to I, use I still am things. too. I still yeah. am too all the time. And, you know, the great thing about cannabis, particularly in the Massachusetts market in our stores right now, is there's always new products. There's always new strains, but we're also in New England where there's different seasons and different ways that we're living our lives all the time. And so finding the right thing that's right for you at that point in uh, your day, in the season, in your life, it's um, it's good to have this many choices. It, it, it is great. And how did you get into this? I mean, how many years have been, or you have you been involved with the cannabis industry? Well, um, I'll tell you back in when I was in, in college is actually <laughs> when I first um, had my first taste of, of the war on drugs when I was working for a congressman in the early 90s. Um, and we had the most college students in any district in America. And seeing right there the, um, the issues that people dealt with for a seed. For a seed, there's one issue in particular, this person who literally got caught with a seed. And I know that sounds absurd right now, which is good that it sounds absurd, but kid in a college dorm had a single seed, an RA who had an ax to grind with him. That led to campus security being called. That led to campus police. That led to Boston police. That led to a felony charge, again, for a seed. You know, but that's just in college, and I got my my first taste of it. I've been an activist in it ever since, but look, I went about my... My life and my career, you know, got, I was a political consultant for 20 years, uh, you know, uh, wife, two kids, two cars, two dogs, that whole thing. Um, and, and being a political consultant, I uh, came to a point in my career where I needed to get my soul back. And so it kind of drains you, doesn't it? It, it yeah. does. Yeah. And, you know, I was in electoral politics and, you know, sort of all the things that you think about when you think negative politics, right. frankly, right. it's what I did. 
And uh, so I decided to take a mid-career retirement, take five years off to do something big. And I saw I had a lot of issues that I cared about, but cannabis was a big one. And the war on drugs have been devastating black, brown, and underserved communities for decades at this point. Um, criminal justice reform was a big thing on on my mind as well. And so I set out in Connecticut to decriminalize possession and pass the, the nation's first uh, medical marijuana law. And uh, I hoped that would take five years um, mm-hmm. and ended up getting both of them done in a little under 16 months. Wow. And, um, you know, it was the first nation, uh, first law in the nation that was actually passed as opposed to a vote or a court order, actually created an actual system. Um, and then from there, I uh, ended up joining a company out in Colorado. Um, I didn't want to. I was just like, you know, I don't know anything about the weed business. But the thing is, in 2010, no one else did either. Right. right. Um, but all- I knew how to work with government. I knew how to run businesses. Um, and I felt it was important to have to continue to have the heart and passion in that. And so as I joined that company, we um, uh, along with it, we continued to work around the country. Um, and this was mindful. My, my partner and our CEO now was uh, CEO of that company. And uh, we proceeded to pass medical cannabis in Illinois and then New York and Ohio and Florida and Arkansas and work around the country uh, and globally. So that's that's how I got into it was really just about passion for the plant, passion for seeing clearly, I mean, clearly with my own eyes, thousands and thousands of people that this helped positively, but then also seeing the clear effect on the war on drugs. I mean, in Connecticut, after we decriminalized, we shut down a prison three months later. That's that's amazing that we're able to do that. And the prison population has continued to go down. We've solved so many, not solved, we've made really big dents in some of the most pressing issues facing our society today. And it's all thanks to this plant. That That's pretty impressive, too, that you've done all this kind of work. And I, I imagine that that hardness that was created being the you know working as far as the uh, in the political consultant uh, area did help you in as you were saying yeah. in those in those processes to get things passed to to learn to know how government works like we know they're we're going to call their bluff because we know that that they're just doing this for fear factor or whatever the tactic oh, may yeah. be it on was, that side yeah. what do you think um is the biggest reason why federally this can't be legalized i don't i don't i really don't understand it you have so many states that are following suit with this at least the medical portion of it but why is there such resistance to this seemingly harmless plant that is helping so many people you know that that's a really great question i've been asked a million times on that and i'm going to step away from the notion of Everything you just said about it makes common sense. There's so much support for it. Well, at the federal government side, and I'll tell you straight up, I think our federal government is broken, has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. But we agree on many, many things. Democrats and Republicans agree that we should improve education. Democrats and Republicans believe, you know, we need to fix health care. We need to do something about immigrant policy. We need to do something about higher education. We all agree on that. The question is, was the solution to it. So there is broad agreement that there needs to be some sort of change on the federal level. And that, look, there's a whole bunch of changes that they can make. But the question is, what does that look like in the end? <laughs> and that's a lot of details um, to work out. I do believe that federal legalization will happen. Um, I don't think it's this year or the next. I think it's probably still f- 
solid five years out before we have solid implementation. And that means we need federal agencies to take this on, draft, re, uh, draft the regulations, hire the people, train them for all of it, work with, work with all the states. Right. Because it's not like they're just going to come in and do a big blanket. They're going to, frankly, I think, end up doing this the same way that the federal government regulates alcohol and tobacco. And that it's legal, but you still have to follow the a state's set of rules. Laws. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and look, the way that that I have worked in all the legislation I've worked on, and I think a lot of states, particularly in the Northeast, have taken this this view as well. Is let's look at this industry that we're helping to build. It's very expensive to build. It's a very high risk industry to be in, and let's make sure that we're putting in rules and regulations that would protect against um, being harmed by federal legalization. And what I mean by that is take, for example, Massachusetts, where we've got really strict strict energy guidelines. We have the strictest in the nation uh, rules on what you can actually put on your plants, which is it's, it's, it's beyond organic in so many ways. And then, then we also have the strictest testing procedures. Well, federal legalization isn't going to mean that the lowest common do- denominator weed coming out of Texas is going to fly. In the Commonwealth, God, I hope it does. You know, right, there's there's right, there's a bunch right. of legal pass test weed out across America that well, almost none of it would pass here in Massachusetts. But beyond that, a lot of it you don't want to pass. I know. I used to get it from a guy in high school all the time. That was horrible. Like <laughs> exactly that. back right. in high school, right, right. someone would say, "Oh no, this is <laughs> yeah. this is dusted with some other drug." And we're yeah, like, "No, yeah. it's no, not. That's mold. That's mildew." Right. right. Uh, but so as but as far as like uh, this is what I don't understand about these regulations. So. You're prevented from using like credit cards, for yeah. example, as a point of sale uh, purchase for, right. at, at Canada Provisions. What, but I can still give you cash. Yep. Which is also a federal. It's federal property. If you if you really break it down, if you really come down to it, it's it belongs to the federal yeah. government. So how is that not falling in the illegal part? With these financial institutions and things like well, that. Well, first of all, um, I'm going to caution you, like I do so yeah. many people, to not make the mistake of trying to interject common sense into a government decision. Okay. That's, that's all the, right. I, my, that's, my apologies. That's the yeah. first mistake. Yeah. And look, the, yeah. like, there's, we're riddled with the hypocrisy like that, and there are so many details that can um, be changed. You know, tax code 280E, that is a huge, huge driver. Um, There are other things that the federal government can do to have credit cards. And by the way, if you're concerned about illegal activity, the single best thing that you could actually be that you could do is digitize everything. That's the easiest way. But to take this industry and say, well, we're not going to fully trust you, Mm. but hey, make it an all cash business. That doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense at all, especially when when you're talking about accountability and, and accounting of anything and how the federal government Obviously, with their over with their overreach, I believe you know with these Venmo apps and things like that. Like they're counting every penny I give my babysitter to watch my kids right. on a Saturday night. That it does seem like this huge weird discrepancy that they have. It's like okay in some way, but it's not okay in all these ways. Right. And look, you know the credit card companies are international and they're yeah. working within their own states. We were just in up in Canada last week and we're able to. Pay with uh, pay with credit cards for cannabis. Um, so you know we know it's on. It's all just on the United States mm. side. 
I think that they'd be very smart to make those changes. I believe me, the credit card companies would love to extend that credit. Um, we'd love to take it. There are actually right now, we have the ability to essentially use credit. Uh, we have a company named Hyper that we've partnered with. Okay. So you can go online uh, and you can just link it right to a credit card or your bank account. And they provide credit to you as well. And so you could actually come on, order online, pay online, Come in, just show an ID. So and pick these it up. are following so the legal loopholes and how to get around these it, things. In a way, it, yeah. in a way, it is. Yeah. And look, this is the, the cannabis industry has had to rely on people being extremely creative and trying to yeah. figure out the best ways to operate. Look, we're, we're a company that we get we get audited. Like we we're an audited company. If any anyone owns a company out there and has been through one, it is a detailed look um, by our own auditors, third party auditors. Um, I'd love to get audited and I'm ready with the, the IRS at any point. But also, the one thing you're, you're, you're sort of glossing <laughs> over here is exactly how much federal taxes we pay. It is a massive, See, massive so, amount. So you do pay federal oh taxes. Oh my God, we pay federal taxes. And so, here's the catch. Uh, yeah. and, and people say it all the time, and for me it just rolls off the tongue, but 280E. Yeah. 280E essentially says that you cannot, if you are um, getting your revenue based on um, a product that is federally illegal, that you cannot deduct normal businesses, business expenses. And this comes from something, I, I believe, in the 80s where there was a, a major cocaine importer <laughs> right. out of California, yeah. and he was paying taxes. He was filing tax returns on his cocaine business. And so the federal government couldn't actually take their um, confiscate his dollars. That's once insane. It was. So that is the basis of 280E, and that is what our cannabis industry is saddled with. So I can deduct my cost of goods, but my building, my employees, yeah. my insurance, my cleaning, everything else, I cannot deduct. And so your effect, my effective tax the, rate is almost 70%. The hypocrisy is yep. preposterous with these folks, and, it's, and especially... As a business owner, with these facilities that, that you run, because you have grow facilities as we well. We do, we do. So with all of that stuff, you know, there's all these regulations that go into place. Well, you can't have this dispensary in proximity of a school with, you know, uh, I don't know how many feet, whatever, whatever the regulation yeah. is, but you can't have them near schools and you can't. If you go three miles away from, from Canna Provisions in Holyoke, over the bridge into South Hadley, Right across the street from South Hadley High School is a liquor store, uh -huh. <laughs> which no one and there's a bar. Not there's a bar, you know, two doors down. At, at uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's right there. It's all right there, and nobody seems to have a problem with how many liquor stores and how many bars and restaurants go up in any of these places near a church or a school or any of these exactly. other things. How frustrating is that for you as far as trying to pick locations for things or or being restricted to only certain areas where you know your your business could maybe thrive at the end of a highway off ramp or right. as opposed to being, you know, further down downtown where it is. Well, for, first of all, I mean it's there's a lot of factors that go into it and you know not just our stores that we have here in both in Lee which is at the end of a highway Exit the last one in Massachusetts, first one from New York, um, and and Holyoke. But as we're looking, we, we've we've cited you know well over a hundred dispensaries either mm -hmm. through ourselves or consulting, and there's a lot of factors that come into it. But one of the big ones that that we live by is don't go where you're not wanted. 
uh, we're past the point, frankly, of, of, of guessing whether or not we're good for a community. We know we are good for a community. And so the first thing that we look for are communities where there's at least like-minded persons that understand, hey, this is going to be an extremely secure, highly regulated um, opportunity for the town to bring in a new business that's going to have high-paying jobs and added tax revenue. If I'm in a community, first and foremost, that doesn't get that, I'm not going to go there. So the first part is go to a community where you know that you're going to be actually wanted and appreciated. And by the way, if if I need to go and say, oh, well, I'll buy you a new fire truck if you let me go here, I'm not wanted. I've just paid to be there. And so I'm not going to go to that community. But you know, there's there's a million different demographics that we look at. I, I don't want to bore you with no. With but you all you're, you're but looking for a community and, that has a support for uh, absolutely. For what and you, look, what some places, do. by the way, will put you. And in the early days in Colorado, the only places that we were put were the worst neighborhoods. In a lot of states throughout the country, you know, you're in the same zones as um, as adult bookstores and, and strip clubs only. Mm-hmm. And and that that gets frustrating, especially since the vast majority. Of the persons who are coming into our store, if you ask them why they're purchasing cannabis, the answer is going to be wellness. And I just don't think that for everything that I've fought for for you know the past twelve years, fundamentally, it, I, I have really strong disagreements with that. Uh, I vehemently um, strike back that when someone talks about, well, you're just like a liquor store, which you know. And I, I don't mean it from the way you're saying, you're saying right. from the hypocrisy, but no, I'm, I'm not just like a liquor store at all. Um, and we, we just went through this debate when we changed our hours to open earlier. It's like, well, the liquor stores can't open until 10. I'm like, well, I, I've got people who are coming, you know, before work or after third shift, and mm-hmm. this is what they're using to sleep. And yes, I've got, I'll tell you, you know, one of um, my stores, there's, there's nurses who were there. Uh, or people coming off the night shift who were there for a 7 a.m. waiting for us to open at 8. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we're serving them in a very different way. Um, and, and so I, it, it's it's tough to get cited, but now I think that there's enough communities, not just in the Commonwealth, but throughout the country that have uh, persons who are progressive enough to see the true benefits, not just from a social side or a progressive side, but from a straight up good for business and good for the town side. Uh, you know, we should we should have a petition to open the store at five a.m. so I could stop there on the way to work and uh, you I'll know, work on it. We'll get to work and see <laughs> even just some CBD to calm me down to work with these two nuts I work with every morning. Oh, there you go. Too. Um, but uh, you know, be, before we be, before we wrap up, but there was one more thing I, w- I wanted to ask you about. Um, as far as is there anything like currently going on right now, legislation wise? that is being pushed um, or that, 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 you, that you're in support of or against or, or anything like that? Well, luckily, we actually just had a pretty significant victory, and it's, it's taken almost three years to work through um, you know, regulatory proposed changes and then going through the whole legislative process um, with the state. It was passed at the end of this session. Governor Baker signed it. I think it's made some significant improvements. One of the big ones is... Uh, decoupling um, the state tax with the federal 280E BS that we just talked about. So the Commonwealth no longer treats us that way. That's a significant impact that was helpful for us. Also dealing with certain things like what we can actually apply to our plants. Um, And that means, you know, the things that we, we, 
um, can apply are super, super, super limited. Uh, and so being able to still apply the things that would still allow us to be in, on a federal level organic, you know, that's a federal determination. Um, those are really positive things that are going to be mm-hmm. helpful for a lot of cultivators, better for consumers. So, but it's, it's an ongoing thing. This is, it's constantly changing. It's never over. Um, there's always improvements that need to happen with the market, with the regulations. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I could speak for most people to say, even though how frustrating this all is and to, to get all these regulations, you know, you know, get it federally recognized, right. and all that stuff, at least we're moving in the right direction as opposed to to what we were 20 years ago where it was stalling everything was stalling there was no really kind of push by the government anyway to, to even state governments to, to kind of move yeah, yeah. California was probably the only one well California is really... still not even there I mean that's right. the, the California market is even remotely close to a fully regulated legal market yeah um, at all especially when you have border patrol agents you know that are operating 100 miles from the border that can just come and seize your stuff right on a routine traffic stop but yeah I, I'm I'm still blown away even though I had a very large hand in pa- passing so many laws and a, and a lot of the normalization of cannabis I'm still blown away by how fast things have moved like I said at the top of the show I, I was thinking it you know I could devote five years to getting the first two things done right um, and I was hoping I could get it done then got it done in 16 months you know and ended up passing um, four different states within those five years so yeah it's moved at at a, a lightning speed as we say the speed of weed so must feel good though to be part of history like that like you're you know you're part of this movement to to, to get these things done a- a- absolutely yeah. look i mean i think my boat of fee days are pretty pretty clear on this and right. i'd like to still maintain them as best as we can and um you know it's important to, to not rest on your laurels but understand the fight is going on every single day and you know I, I love that we're talking about the regulations that that i have on my business and the consumers in massachusetts have to follow but i think it's i'd be remiss if i didn't remind people that right now it, there are still people being arrested and charged with the felony for a joint across this country there are still medical refugees right now who are leaving their families their support systems to go to another state to try something to get their kids to stop seizing five six hundred times a day. So I just encourage everyone um, to not only remember that, um, but support companies as well, that it's part of our core values, continuing to fight for those things. You know, you, you bring that up about different states and, and people uh, suffering from, you know, these le- legalities in different, uh, like my, uh, a family member of mine in Georgia was uh, arrested for having a vape. It was a, it was a small vape, but they, <sighs> they didn't charge him for just being in possession of marijuana, they charged him with however much marijuana that would have been, in, in, if in it was flour, and yeah. it, it, with this flour. And I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" And he was facing a felony. You know, oh, it's still a twenty-five-year-old kid facing a felony for something so innocuous that, like, you you just wouldn't think that that you would be facing that kind of charge for that but you yep. do in certain states and it's crazy and but, they pile them on i mean yeah. let's be clear if you're getting arrested for a vape pen in a whole bunch of states you're not just getting arrested for the marijuana products in there but you're yeah. also getting a paraphernalia charge yeah paraphernalia 
and they usually throw on something stupid like texting while driving as well, just to <laughs> just to add to the chaos that you go through. Eric Williams, uh, CEO and co-owner of Canada Provisions, you can find them in uh, Holyoke on Dwight Street and out in Lee. What the, that's right on Route Twenty, right there. Right? Uh, it's on Hoosatonic Street. Hoosatonic it just Street. get right off uh, Exit uh, Three. Right off the exit, 420 yards. Awesome. Eric, we appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for coming in. Really great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Nagel Mind Your Business, exclusive podcast on rock102.com.